When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joe Schultz and I am joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, the part-time Eldrazi Slayer, it's Matt Morgan. Joey, did you know that Mr. Spock had three ears? I did not. He did. He had the left ear, the right ear, and the final front ear. Stop it. That's <laughs> that's one of the worst ones you've ever told, You're Matt. So I welcome. adore it. You're so welcome. Uh, and up next, the part-time Eldrazi. That's Dana Roach. Um, apropos of entirely nothing, there are 34 cards in Magic with Plague in the title and Quarantine Field Exiles, almost all of them. <laughs> Well done. Well done. I, I quite appreciate that. This is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the Commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And what we like to do here on the podcast is give all that data just a little bit more context. Hey guys, what are we talking about this week? We're going to talk about what the best precon was in our opinion. Indeed, we're going to look through all of the past pre-cons. Preview season for Ikoria Commander is happening right now, and it's really, really exciting. But before we actually talk about these future cards, we want to take a quick look at the past. But before we get to our main topic, we have to give a huge thanks to Josh the Quiet and the folks at the Command Zone for handling all of the post-production work on the podcast, providing all of the amazing images and the visuals that you are seeing right now, bringing the podcast up a whole new level. Really, really awesome stuff. So huge thanks to them. And of course, a huge thanks to our sponsors. Yeah, I would like to thank our wonderful sponsor, Card Kingdom. If you click on any of the links on EDH Rec, it'll take you straight to Card Kingdom, or you can go directly to cardkingdom.com slash EDH Rec. Uh, you can also click those very same links, and they'll work to take you to our other sponsor, tcgplayer.com, who has as deep and wide a selection of cards as any place on the web. <laughs> Indeed. All right, guys, I don't think I can take it anymore. I really want to get to this topic. So let's just dive right in. We're actually going to be going in reverse chronological order, going farther and farther back into the past as we look through all of the previous precons and evaluate them based on three different categories. The commanders that they provided to us, the original cards that were made in those decks as well, and of course, their reprints. So let's go ahead and get started with the product from 2019, last year's product. Dana, what do we got here? Just looking one category at a time, I suppose. How about we start with those commanders from Commander 2019? Sure. Um, so there are six commanders with over, with over a thousand decks, um, but the three most popular are Elsha the Infinite, um, Kirik, and Miss Anjay Falconrath. <laughs> They are certainly pretty good. Six commanders that have over a thousand decks. I feel like that's a pretty good uh, note for us to pick at, you know, whether these cards were especially popular because we've got a bunch of stuff. I mean, this is also the product that gave us some lackluster commanders such as Tangarth, for example, which is, I think, barely hitting 100 decks at the time of recording. Um, if I am recalling correctly, it just, you know, wasn't great. But some of the commanders that are uh, really popular are indeed definitely showing up there like Elsha and like Kirik. Uh 
So, I mean, those are certainly cool commanders. Have you guys encountered these? Do you guys like these? Is this an A plus from the commander front for you? Or is this more of like a, eh, I didn't actually like these commanders all that much? For the commanders, I think they were fine. I don't think they were bad. I mean, like you said, there were six different commanders that have over a thousand decks to their name. I think that says there's a decent amount of depth to it. There's there's not one amazing standout kind of attracts a type of commander from this set. But there are, you know, a decent amount of good options that any player can pick up and, and, and build a deck around at least. Uh, yeah, I, I think they're, they're interesting commanders. Um, and, you know, a thousand decks in, in less than a year is... That's a pretty impressive turnout, I think, because we're at this point looking at it, and it is significantly less than a year. Um, so uh, that's even if they're not maybe my favorite commanders, I, I do think they did definitely speak to a lot of people. And I've seen a lot of these out in the wild, both just locally at stores and at various, you know, Magic Fests and Command Fests, that kind of thing. And there are two things that I want to point on. First, uh, you mentioned the Atraxa-style stuff there, Matt. There isn't one commander that is blowing the rest out of the water, which I actually count as a good thing. That is actually a, a check mark, something that I like. I would like the spread to be a lot more even as opposed to they're just one commander that completely blows everything else completely out of the water and just totally rockets off, leaving the rest in the dust. That feels a little weird to me. So I like that there's a more even spread. But then also something here that I kind of expected might hold this product back a little bit was how niche a lot of these commanders are. Things like Kadena, for example, this is really going to appeal to just the folks who like Morph, and it isn't a very ubiquitous commander in the ways that other Sultai commander decks might be, um, for example, with stuff like the Mimipazm, or even just other Sultai commanders like Muldrotha, which are a lot more diverse. Um, so that is something that's kind of interesting there. But it's not just the commanders that I think are important. A thing that's really big for me are the original spells that we have uh, within a product too. So beyond just the commanders from 2019, what do we think of the cards that actually appeared in the deck? Matt, what do you think there? So some of the cards that came out in the 99 of these decks, there are some pretty good ones actually. Dockside Extortionist is one of the most played cards from the set. Uh, that's the goblin pirate that makes a whole bunch of treasure tokens uh, when it enters the battlefield. But you also had some pretty heavy hitters like Orin Frostfang. Uh, Bone Miser was a pretty pretty well adopted card too. Uh, there's a bunch of legends that happen to make their way into the 99 of a bunch of different decks too. Granted, that that usually happens with pre-con decks anyways. But as far as the cards in the 99 go, there were some pretty good ones. I mean, Dockside Extortionist, the, I, I remember the hype around that card and it was pretty hyped up. Yeah, this is actually where I kind of waver on 2019, not going to lie. It feels like there weren't a ton of cards. It feels like actually there were a lot of the other legends showing up in the 99 as opposed to original non-legendary cards. Um, and that actually feels kind of rare. Dockside Extortionist definitely was really popular, but it's one of the only popular original cards from the set. So that's kind of iffy for me. And that's before we even talk about reprints. When you go through, there is a reprint section on the EDHREC page for any of these sets if you look through them. And when you go through them, you do see a lot of the most ubiquitous spells, things like Mana Ramp, Mana Rocks, a lot of lands will show up on those pages because they are very popular, they show up in a ton of decks. Uh, but then you can also sift through them, and when looking through those reprints that appeared in these sets, I'm not seeing too much here that I liked either. There were some standouts such as Sun Titan or Seaborn Muse or Thran Dynamo, but overall... I was just kind of underwhelmed both on the original card front and on the reprint front by the stuff that we're seeing here that, that is still super popular when we're looking through EDHREC for these particular set pages. I, I don't know if underwhelmed is necessarily the right word because I think there's probably a statistical reason for that, Joey. And I think it's because, as you mentioned with the actual commanders here, these are very intently focused on a theme so the end result of that is you're going to get cards particularly printed for a morph deck, and those aren't going to be useful to anybody who's not playing morph. You're going to get cards particularly printed for that populate deck, and if you're not playing a populate deck, or at the very least a, a token deck, those cards aren't going to be very useful for you either. So I, I think it's just a matter of math. There's so many slots in these decks that were soaked up by cards that were designed specifically for that theme, that it just doesn't leave much left to be played outside the theme. Um, so the result, we just get less cards. I think it looks underwhelming, but I think that's just what's going to happen when you have a, a set with decks that are built around something so specific. Yeah, and, and we, we criticized the Brawl Precon commanders when they came out as being too generic. So it kind of seems weird that we're coming down on these commanders for being too specific. So... 
I would rather them be too specific and, and fill a niche, like you said, Joey, than just have them be a, a generic do whatever, draw some cards type of Simic only in different colors type of commander. I'm not coming down on the commanders for being <laughs> niche. I actually like the commanders and that they are niche. It's just that there aren't any of the cards from within the 99. If I'm looking to pick up any of the precons, this one isn't going to draw to me because I would have to be playing one of those niche strategies. So it's not the commanders themselves. It's more the cards in the 99 being a little too niche, which is sort of where it rubs me a little All bit right. the wrong that, way. That's just a trade-off, I think, when the deck is built really yeah. specifically. You just have less cards that you're going to be able to grab and put in your Marin deck or something. Yeah. Well, here, here's an interesting stat that's going to kind of lead into my total opinion on 2019. So Dockside Extortionist is played in 18% of all eligible decks. That is a huge adoption rate. So it's in over 9,000 decks. And that number, that 18% adoption rate, as far as like pre-con cards that are played in the 99 of decks in general, not just in pre-con decks, that is one of the highest numbers we're going to have. It's behind only... Command Tower and Commander's Fear. Those are the only two cards that get adopted more by decks that they're eligible to begin. And that those two are staply of staples, the most staple list, if you will. <laughs> and you mean original cards from Commander products. Correct. Dockside yeah. Extortion is the third one. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely an interesting metric. So Matt, it seems like your overall grade on Commander 2019 is a thumbs up. If I had to Ebert and Roper this set, I would definitely give it a thumbs up, yes. I think the Commanders okay. are interesting enough and there's some there's some good cards that fill roles in the 99 yeah, I think that it's still the uh, the nicheness of the cards within the 99, as well as what I don't think are as exciting of reprints as we could have had, uh, it's going to get a bit of a thumbs down for me on Commander 2019. But Dana, I want to know what you think too. I'm going to have to thumbs down it as well. Um, I think as a self-contained set, it was really solid. I think as a set that you would want to buy decks from if you were playing anything but the commanders in those specific decks it didn't offer a lot and i get why that is we explained it already but um that made it just not a particularly exciting year for me personally if i didn't want to build the commander it just didn't bring a lot to the table in terms of reprints or original cards yeah that's sort of where i'm at too and it might be a pattern that we see with the next one that we talk about let's move on to commander 2018 this is the one that had planeswalkers as the uh front facing commanders what commanders do we have here matt so the leadoff commanders that we have are going to be some pretty heavy hitters. So like you said, Planeswalkers as commanders, which means Lordwind Grace. That's the most played commander in, um, from this set. Aminatu the Fate Shifter also is up there at a pretty high rank. But you also have some other cards, you know, actual you know traditional creatures. Eureka Tiger's Shadow, uh, Tuvasa the Sunlit. All of those commanders all are coming in pretty well. There are eight commanders here that have over a thousand decks to their name. That is a really big metric right there, actually. And I think when 2018 was first coming out, 2018 had me really, really excited. And those commanders are a really big piece of the reason why. But then moving into the original cards, Matt, what do we got there? The original cards, I mean, so we had Lord Windgrace in the Planeswalker as your commander. And then we had Windgrace's Judgment. And that was about it. So Windgrace's Judgment <laughs> destroyed everything else in the set. Uh, yeah, it was a couple of the uh, legends are showing up in the 99s of other decks, but it is mostly just Windgrace's Judgment that's showing up as popular. There are a couple of other stragglers like Estrid's Invocation or uh, Nesting Dragon got a boost in popularity when Atla Palani came out in Commander 2019 because it makes eggs and Atla Palani really likes eggs. But aside from that, we just don't have a lot of original spells, original stuff from this set that made its way into a lot of decks just when we're browsing through the data. It's got really low popularity for a lot of these original cards. And this one doesn't even really have the excuse of these strategies being very niche. So that's really dicey. Um, I, I don't know if this the, it's so much the strategies are niche, but I, I, I think part of the problem here too you get is when your commanders are planeswalkers, they maybe don't lend themselves to being put into another deck. I, I think people sometimes feel like you're losing value when your Planeswalker is allowed to be a commander and you don't make it do that. At least it feels weird to me to put a commander Planeswalker just in a deck. Um, but again, I, I do think you you said you don't really have the excuse, Joe, but I, I do think it does to a degree. I, I think the Enchantress deck, is, I mean, that's an Enchantress deck, I think, that probably didn't offer many cards for people who weren't playing 
that kind of a, a style. I think the same is true. The entire Wind Grace deck wasn't Lands Matter, but thematically it did a lot of those things. I just don't know if I brought a lot of, of cards to the table that worked outside that theme to a degree. Um, there's a lot of Blink stuff in the Amanatu deck, which I guess is generally useful, but there's also already been a ton of good Blink cards out there. I just I think this one, while maybe not as narrow as 2019, again was kind of thematically more narrow than we've seen in the past, and that just gives us less cards that are going to be playable in the decks we already had at home. Well, and Dana, an interesting point on that too is you, you said you're you're losing value if you have the Planeswalkers in the 99 versus in the Command Zone. So two of the top five cards from the set as far as going in the 99 are Planeswalkers. You have Amanatu as the second most played card coming in out, you know, in the in the deck. And then Lord Windgrace is number five as far as the most played cards in the 99 from this set, which is pretty telling. Yeah, and that's that's just a, a metric for me personally. If the legendary creatures are showing up in the 99 more often than the original spells, that's kind of a, a thing that I don't like seeing. I want to see more spells showing up in those uh, sections instead of the legendary creatures. Um, so that is one of the things that makes me a little eh on this particular one. Uh, but that's not even the only reason. I think another big factor here has to be the reprints. Looking back, one of the only high value, super popular. This is a really crazy reprint that I can see uh, looking through here. It's probably just got to be Avenger of Zendikar or something like that. And maybe Bear Umbra is kind of like interesting as the reprints go. But most of it is a lot of the same... Uh, the same stuff that we would usually see a lot of the same lands a bunch of the uh typical ramp spells that we would normally expect to see like commander's fear the typical uh stuff that we would see such as putrefy and mortify those kind of have become staples and precons um, and that's a lot of the stuff that we're seeing on the idiotrek page for 2018 as well and it has very very few major standouts i would say in terms of reprints which again has me going Ugh, a little bit a uh, little bit dicey on that yeah, the, the reprints are, there's a lot of like little dollar or two staple type cards like Utter End, Sakura Tribe Elder. But other than that, yeah, the, the reprints are definitely lacking in, in this set. And that was a complaint that year from a lot of people too that was generally regarded as a year with a very, very poor set of reprints. Yeah, I, when this came out, I was personally so excited by all of the legends, which again, eight commanders among this uh, particular product that are showing up with over a thousand decks, which is an important metric. And that is, I think, where I got swept up a little bit when this particular product was coming out, because that was actually really cool. I was so excited by these commanders that have proven over time to in fact be very popular. Um, but the fact that they didn't have a lot of original spells, um, or at least that we've discovered that the spells that we thought might be kind of interesting have turned out to me maybe be a little bit lesser like treasure nabber for example was in this set and folks were pretty excited about what you can do with this card and then it just kind of didn't pan out that's kind of how my feelings have personally evolved on this one too i was excited particularly because of how striking and cool the commanders were but over time i've soured a little bit on this particular product so if we're doing the uh the final metric the ebert and roper as you said matt i think the thumbs down is going to have to happen here for me on this particular product which is which is sad to see that i i, I used to really like it but just uh, it's it's soured a bit in the time sense yeah i would have to agree this is definitely a thumbs down yes there was some depth to the amount of legends but i mean that might have been just desperation who knows um <laughs> but not not for me especially personally 2018 offered very very little for me so i'm i'm going to give it a thumbs down dana you two both realize that 98% of the audience has no idea who either Ebert or Roper are, right? <laughs> well, yeah. Just, okay, fine. Both, both are going to get, right now you're getting okay boomered by 90% of our listener audience. Um, and, and, I'm the, and I'm the one with the gray beard. <laughs> you are. Um, we just want a thumbs up or a thumbs down, I Dave. Guess. <laughs> um, I, I will. I will thumbs down this one, too. Um, I, I like the set. I think it's a fun self-contained set again, but like I don't know if it added a whole lot to Commander as a whole outside of new Commanders. That's a really good point. I, I don't know what this, how this furthered the format. I think it just kind of was there. And if then you that's didn't what it build did. a Windgrace deck or a Eureka deck or an Aminatu deck, I don't know if it, it, it did anything really at all. Right. And that is certainly an important metric sure. uh, to, you know, have a commander that excites you, I think, is one of the most important factors of a new commander product for sure. And not just like if the commanders were not exciting and it only had good reprints, that's not a good product. 
but at the same time, if it doesn't have a good uh, leveling of all of those factors, that can be something that sort of is a little bit, eh, a little bit rough. Um, and that's why this one in particular, it really was good in one factor, but not good in the other categories, which is why it kind of got the thumbs down for me. But hey, that's enough about 2018. Let's move on to greater pastures and move backward in time to 2017. Dana, what were the commanders from this tribal commander product? The the main standout, most popular commanders here are Edgar Markov, Kess, and the Ur-Dragon. Um, but Ramos Dragon Engine was quite popular, Anama Archmage Ritualist, and Arabo also uh, make a pretty good showing. So it did end us, lend us some kind of canon-y commanders that do still show up a lot today. Yeah, it looks like we've got is that six commanders that have a thousand or more decks, and hey, that's a pretty good number. I think the most important part about this, though, is those first three you mentioned, Dana, you have Edgar Markov, Kess Distant Mage, the Ur-Dragon. Those are three of the most popular commanders of all time. Like they, They've worked their way up in the rankings very quickly over the past few years. Yeah, definitely a good thing to note for sure. It is funny to me that in this uh, tribal set, a non-tribal commander, Kess, who just cares about recasting spells from your graveyard as opposed to Edgar Markov's vampire tribally or the Ur-Dragon's dragon tribally. It is funny to me that a non-tribal commander rose amongst the ranks uh, here. That's kind of kind of humorous, I think. Um, but this is actually still a really good showing and their very high popularity that you just pointed out there, Matt. That's also a thing definitely worth mentioning. When it comes to the original spells, this is also where the infamous Teferi's Protection debuted which has also climbed a lot in the ranks. 13% adoption among the eligible decks here in over 18,000 decks. That is a huge, huge number for Teferi's Protection. Um, and also, I think it's worth noting Path of Ancestry is a really cool card that we got here too. Uh, shows up in over 27,000 decks because it can go in just about anything. This is really great if you are in a tribal deck, but also just a really great card. Let's say you're in a three-color deck. This is another tapped tri-land, or let's say you're in a five-color deck. This is a tapped five-color land for you too, even if you aren't going to be playing a tribal deck it's still just a really good land uh so those are some things that i think are actually certainly worth noting are there any other uh original spells from the commander 2017 product that jump out to you guys yeah i mean like disrupt decorum is just an excellent all-around card that really kind of got slept on for a long time and i think it, it's one of those spells that i you needed to see it in action to really appreciate how how effective it is reading it it looks like oh that's going to be a decent card um it's a very decent card, and it's a lot of fun. It adds a lot to a game. I, I always enjoy seeing someone cast a Disruptacorum. Um, so I think that's a really a, a, a good axis on which to measure a card. Is it good, and does it add something to the game? I think that card definitely does. Uh, that's kind of a spell that makes it like you know when you have like some type of fog effect in your hand and you're like haha i feel safe this round right. when you play Dis Dis disrupt decorum it isn't just haha i feel safe this round it's haha i feel safe and diabolical this round and, right. and you can't feel safe is, is probably the, the better part but i yeah, yeah. I, I think this set probably was one of the most fun sets to play especially if you played the decks against each other uh, it, like the kindred cycle that those were great they they were very good we, as far as how they played out amongst each other. But then you also had some really good cards like Harold's Horn. Of course, I have to mention Miri Weatherlight Duelist, the best commander of all time. <laughs> oh my but, goodness. But there were just so many just very fun cards. Like even Fractured Identity kind of creates a little bit of chaos. It's removal, but it does so many just weird things, even outside of the, the obvious tribal synergies that this set kind of really, really focused on. And this did a lot for tribal decks. But just how much fun these cards were. I, I think this might have been one of the more important pre-cons probably. In the, of, of all the past five years, I would say this might have been one of the more important, as if you ask my personal opinion. Hmm. See, I'm not I'm not sure that I'm quite there. And I think the fact that this particular commander product also, in terms of its reprints, didn't really overwhelm me on that front either. There were a couple of standouts like Marari's Wake, and I believe at the time Decree of Pain was also really climbing up in price uh, around the time that this particular product was printed. But the reprint game on this one actually kind of struck me as being slightly lackluster compared to some of the other offerings we've had. Um, and not only that, but also the Teferi's Protection thing kind of reminds me a little bit of the Dockside Extortion thing. Uh, the Dockside Extortionist is a really popular card, but it 
does kind of leave some of the other things in the dust. There aren't too many other super popular cards too. And Teferi's Protection is kind of that way. Path of Ancestry is a really good standout and Disruptive Quorum is really, really fun and frankly probably should see a lot more play than it currently does. But most of all, it does seem like there's one particular standout spell uh, for this year. And it doesn't feel like that original spell value was distributed as much as I would normally like to see it among all of the decks and all of the original cards. I think that's a, that's a fair conclusion about the reprints. That if I had one point of criticism, it would probably be this. But I, I still think the decks and the overall experience were good enough. I, I'm going to jump ahead. I'm going to give this set a thumbs up. I, I it was just one of the more well done sets overall, especially when it comes to just balancing the decks and how they played against each other, which was what they really tried to start doing with this year. Gotcha, Dana. How about you? Thumbs up? Thumbs down? Um kind of a semi-reluctant thumbs up, I guess. Um, for me, from a personal perspective, it didn't really give me that many cards, aside from things like Teferi's Protection, which is, you know, fantastic in any white deck. Um, but uh, I think Tribes, um, you know, while you want to maybe think that that is uh, a narrow, I don't, I don't think it really is. I think five-color dragons were already a thing, so when they printed the Ur-Dragon, the five-color dragon deck, you could either build an Ur-Dragon deck or you could put the Ur-Dragon in your existing five-color Scion deck or something. Like, I think a lot of that stuff copied over. People were already playing Vampire Tribal, so they got new cards for the Vampire Tribal deck. People wanted a cat deck for a long time. People wanted, you know, things that cared about wizards. I, I think it, it gave people pieces they wanted, even if they didn't just build the commanders. Um, so while I don't know if I pulled a lot of cards out of this set that were useful to me personally... I feel like it was probably pretty beneficial to Commander as a whole and did add a lot of things to kind of the greater meta of Commander. So I'm giving it the thumbs up. All right. I'll be the bad guy. I'm going to give it the thumbs down. Uh, Why do you hate cats, Joey? <laughs> Um, and I think that is like just especially the overall theming of this one, that might be the thing that finally gives me the the thing that there were the issues that I mentioned before, like I wasn't as wooed by the reprints or by some of the other original spells to protection being the main exception to that. Um, but also the commanders didn't really speak to me as much either. So if the commanders are the strong point, tribal just isn't usually my jam. Um, so that strong point doesn't speak to me as much, uh, but I'm happy to be outvoted by that for sure. Uh, let's move on to the next year. This one is worth things especially start to pick up for me. I've been a little bit of a downer on some of the previous ones that we've discussed so far, but um, this right here is Commander 2016, and this is when things got crazy. So the top commanders from Commander 2016, they were doozies to say the least. So this was when we had the four color commanders and also partner commanders, which means there was a lot of ground being broken. So you had some of the most popular commanders of all time with Atraxa Praetor's Voice and Abrea Ethereum Shaper. Those two kind of set the bar as far as what we were going to look to in the future. But also you had some partner commanders. You had Thrasios Triton Hero, which went in every partner deck, it seems. But then you also <laughs> had some, you know, some very, very popular four-color commanders again with Kaneos and Tier of Miletus. You had Yidris Maelstrom Wielder. And that's just kind of getting started. There, there were so many commanders from this set. Uh, six commanders with over a thousand decks in there. Yeah, really, really good stuff. And the original spells, I also really, really like the original spells that came from this particular set too. Uh, we had stuff like Sylvan Reclamation, for example, um, which I just think is really, really clever, I would say. I kind of really like that, especially the the basic land cycling that you have on this. Um, the Ash Barons was originally from this here, also a basic land cycling card, and that really helps fix your mana. Ash Barons has become a total staple for me now. Deep Glow Skate is a really, really fun card for anyone who wants to ultimate those Planeswalkers, or if you have a lot of counters that you want to double up. There were some really cool spells here that I uh, liked, and even some of the ones that don't see as much love as maybe they should. Duelist's Heritage, which can give an attacking creature double strike. Potentially you have the ability to political with that or you can just give your stuff double strike and that's still really good and also fairy artisans is a card uh that one is the one that makes tokens whenever other people play stuff that scales really really well to a multiplayer environment when a lot of other people are playing stuff this is a creature that's really really impressed me i like not just the commanders but also the original cards that we got from 2016 a whole whole lot the, the last couple you mentioned especially fairy artisans is a really really solid card i love duelist heritage the, the political aspect of that, or not even political, just the ability to, like, out of the blue throw a double strike on someone else's creature can be devastating at times. 
Um, Curtain's Call is a very, very good card, too. It's oh, very yeah. frequently just a, like, you know, three mana destroy two creatures at instant speed. Very, very solid. I was going to say, if, if we didn't mention Curtain's Call, I was going to get a little fussy because that card is so <laughs> good. But, either, I mean, there are so many cards that that made an impact. I mean, Benefe- Benefactor's Drought, um, that card draws so many cards. And, and it's That's not one I've actually seen cast outside of the original Precon environment. That's really? been a... a real powerhouse for you oh man i i think i've seen somebody draw like 15 cards off that one time because they're playing a token deck they attacked wow they used it drew a bunch of cards i mean they won obviously if you're drawing that many cards <laughs> in a token deck um but i mean there's stuff like selfish squire even though i know we on the podcast are a little torn on that but that's still a very interesting card i they did a lot of really fun stuff in the 99 and don't forget like a lot of the partner commanders they showed up in the 99 of decks yeah yeah of very, very good stuff there. And the reprint game, I feel like, was also quite good here because we had some really big heavy hitters. Chromatic Lantern at the time was really, really climbing up in price, and so it was nice to get a reprint here, although it was a little strange that it didn't show up in the Greenless Artifact deck, but that's no matter. It still got a reprint. Uh, Ghostly Prison, Blasphemous Act. Uh, in particular, Colonian Hydra is one that I was really, really happy to see. That can win games all on its own. And also, just another thing that can be important isn't just that a precon reprint reprints cards that are currently very expensive, but also that it maybe keeps card prices down. So the reprints of stuff like Doretti and Sharoom in the artifact deck, even though they weren't necessarily very expensive at the time and aren't very expensive still, it did prevent those cards from becoming crazy expensive if they hadn't seen a reprint. So that's also something that's really important to me. This really, really feels like I have to give an up on really all three categories, a thumbs up on the commanders, on the original spells, and on the reprints. I really enjoy what we had from 2016 yeah i mean i'm gonna begrudgingly give it a thumbs up too i know it was very (laughs) it was a very impactful set i just i think the partners and the four colors i mean and atraxa maybe just leaves a bad taste because there's just so many just atraxa atraxa decks i know it's kind of a weird way to put it but i mean there's just so many just generic atraxa decks because atraxa does so many things dana dana must be rubbing off on you you're getting a little too (laughs) hipster there i am i'm getting a little hipster maybe yeah but i yeah I'll give it a thumbs up because I do think it made a huge impact and, and it really pushed the boundaries as far as what we thought about pre-con sets. So I will give it a thumbs up, but I won't like it. Okay. I, I'm also really, really torn here because I detest the original partner implementation. Um, I like partnered with, and I, at this point, cannot stand the original partner implementation at all. However... Um, the greater player base seems to like it and play with it. So, you know, I, how can I argue against what everyone wants, really? Um, <laughs> and this was definitely the last year I think we got a really impressive reprint suite. And obviously we talked about how many non-commander cards are solid. So as much as I want to just out of spite, <laughs> give it a thumbs down. I, I got to give it a thumbs up. All right. Thumbs up all around, uh, even if they are maybe forced smiles that you guys are giving yes. while doing so. I like it. Uh, I am excited to go on to the next year, Commander 2015. But before we get there, we have to do our classic podcast <laughs> yes. segment, Challenging the Stats. There is so much data here on Trek. But we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think the cards are seeing too much play. Sometimes we think they're seeing too little play. So what we like to do is challenge those stats. Dana, do you mind starting us off this week with your challenge the stats pick? I will start us off with a card that is one of those uh, Commander Precon non-legendary cards that we've been talking about. Oran Frostfang. It's in 3,500 decks, but it's only in 10% of Nylea God of the Hunt decks in our database. And that's not enough, I don't think. And the reason why, Nylea gives all your creatures trample. Um, Orang Frostfang gives all your attacking creatures death touch. And the way those two abilities interact is when you assign lethal damage to a creature with trample, the damage then carries over to the player. Since everything has death touch because of Orang Orang Frostfang, excuse me, you only need to assign one damage, so it, it just makes Trample that much more effective and tramples over everything but one single damage, in addition to drawing you a card. Um, it's just a perfect interaction, and I feel like if you're playing Nylea, God of the Hunt, I don't know why you would not be running Orang Frostfang as well. Uh, that's real, real good, and I'm a little bit afraid of it, not going to lie. Um, and... I, I, yeah, you made me nervous, actually. I don't want to be trampled death-touched. That sounds like a bad time. While drawing cards at the same time. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. All of that's bad. No, Matt, let's just move on to yours because I don't want to think about being trampled death touch while my opponents draw cards. All of that sounds bad to me. I'm going to make you think about it because that card is very good and I agree with Dana's challenge, but <laughs> I will move on. Um, so my pick this week is for Omnath Locus of Rage Decks. That is the Gruel Omnath. It doesn't have to be elemental specific, but it does have a lot of overlap because recently, if you guys watched our stream a couple weeks ago with Jason Alt coming on there, he played his Omnath Locus of the Royal deck and played a elemental deck that happened to just ranch the table pretty quickly, specifically me. It was mostly me. <laughs> um, but the card that enabled that was Cavalier of Flame, which I think is underplayed in the Omnath Locus of Rage decks. It shows up quite a bit in Locus of the Royal, but the typical Gruel version doesn't have near as much play. So Cavalier Flame is two red, red, red for a 6-5 Elemental Knight, and it has one and a red. Creatures you control get plus one, plus oh, and gain haste until end of turn, which is very important for your tokens that you're making with Omnath, but also has two other abilities. When Cavalier Flame enters the battlefield, discard any number of cards, then draw that many cards. Gets lots of lands in your graveyard, for example. And then when Cavalier Flame dies, it deals X damage to each opponent and each Planeswalker they control, where X is the number of land cards in your graveyard. And I missed that each part when it happens to each opponent, each Planeswalker. So when this dies, it has so much potential. If you're playing Omnath and you have a lot of fetch lands, which you typically want to be doing in a landfall deck, even if you're hitting people for six damage or so, that's a pretty significant amount of damage in addition to having all the upside, in addition to pumping up your entire team and giving them haste. So if you have a splendid reclamation, you can just haste up the team and oftentimes swing for lethal. This card is so good. It's only showing up currently in 16% of 347 Omnath decks that have been made since Cavalier Flame came out. That is criminally too low. That is way, way too low. The more that you were talking about it, the more I'm like, yeah, that's really good because well, any extra mana, which Omnath is going to have a lot of, the activated ability on the Cavalier can be used. Or when you sacrifice all of your lands so that you can use that Splendid Reclamation to get a bunch of landfall trigger effects or something like that, you can also, when the Cavalier dies, that can be another way to find a lethal source of damage when you just put wantonly a bunch of lands in your graveyard. That's a yep. really spicy pick. I'm totally here for it. Plus, in addition, you get you get Omnath's Death Trigger because whenever an elemental dies, an elemental. you get a Lightning Bolt. Yeah, it's, uh, it's so, 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 so good. Um, even if it weren't an elemental in a generic Omnath Locus of Rage deck, I still think this should be played. That's a really, really cool one. I super like it. All right, we're going to move on to my challenge stats pick here. This is one that we've talked about way, way, way in the past. I am using these challenge stats picks to talk about some old favorites that uh, I really, really love and that really frustrate me that they aren't seeing more play. I'm talking about one of my favorite white cards ever. This is Righteous Aura, a two-mana enchantment that allows you to pay one might one white mana and two life, and the next time a source of your choice would deal damage to you this turn, you prevent that damage. This is so, so, so powerful. It doesn't even require you to target a source. So if an Omnath is attacking you for five damage, you can just say, nah, it's going to be, I'll pay two life and take nothing. If someone's using a huge Comet Storm targeting you for a bajillion damage, nah, next time a source of my choice, that Comet Storm, I'm going to prevent that, and it's just going to be me losing two life. This is a very, very powerful way to make sure that no one does a ton of damage to you. It is one of the best white enchantments that I've been able to find. Really, really feels great to be defensive behind this one. And it is just shocking to me that it's only showing up in 521 decks total, according to EDHREC. That is far, far too low. This is one of the best white enchantments that people just aren't playing and they really, really should be. So if you're afraid of that Cavalier damage that Matt is going to do or the Trample Death Touch <laughs> damage that Dana's going to do, this is a very good enchantment for you to hide behind. <laughs> All right, guys, let's move back into our main topic. I want to talk about Commander 2015. Let's get back to talking about these pre-cons because Commander 2015 is kind of where stuff is at. Matt, what do we got in terms of the commanders from Commander I'm surprised you're letting me talk about this one because it's got I, I your, am too. Your, your main jam. So it does have one of the most built commanders of all time, Marin of Clan Neltoth. Yeah. That Golgari, <laughs> whatever, experience counter. That was kind of the main theme was the experience counters on the legendary, something they hadn't done before. But you also have a couple very popular commanders. You have Azuri Claw of Progress, which is kind of the antithesis to Joey's love That's true. for Marin of Clan Neltoth. Uh, but you also have the uh, the Izzet Mizzix of the Ismagus. You have Karlov of the Ghost Council, Daxos the Returned. It was a pretty, pretty impactful set. Um, only three commanders above 1,000 decks. 
but you will recognize pretty much any of the legends from this set. Yeah, definitely the case for these. I do love Marin. It frustrates me. Azuri having a two power trigger doesn't make any sense for that to be in green and blue, but I've laid all of that out before. Now is not the time or the place. Instead, what I will talk about is the original spells that came from this uh, particular precon, because even though like, I think that some of the commanders are home runs and some of them are a little like, wait, what was going on here? The actual original spells in this product completely blow me away. We had stuff like Thought Vessel, the mana rock that gives you an infinite hand size, which is showing up in uh, over 32,000 decks, according to EDHREC. The Confluence Cycle, such as Mystic Confluence, that is so, so good. But then there were also amazing cards like Grasp of Fate, Pathbreaker Ibex. Matt, I know that that's a card that you super love because it, it, allows, is. You, because it allows you to just totally trample stomp everyone else in your way. Uh, Command Beacon is a really crazy land, which we really want reprinted, just by the way. That would be a really great reprint in future products. Mizix's Mastery is another fantastic one. Uh, Shielded by Faith is a great aura that came in this particular product that now goes infinite with Siona, Captain of the Pileus from the Theros set. There were so many cool cards here, and I didn't even talk about stuff like Arachnogenesis or Bastion Protector. Uh, like there's there's so much happening in this set that I'm just completely blown away by the original spells that came from Commander 2015 in particular. Or Ride of the Raging Storm or Skullwinder. Um, it really went deep. Blade of Selves is, you know, Blade I don't even know if in the, in the top... 20 most popular cards and that's a fantastic card in a lot of decks yeah really really great stuff it's an embarrassment of riches i mean this this is maybe the best set they've ever done in terms of non-legendary cards and the legends are great and there is some real genuine actual value here in the reprints eternal witness sun titan Frexian arena uh karmic justice black market hadn't been seen in 15 years and was not cheap at the time eldrazi monument was a relatively expensive card bane of progress urza's incubator wasn't crazy pricey at the time but like now it is and that's after that reprint there was so much value in there in all three quadrants yeah yeah absolutely love it so dana i think you and i are both getting a huge thumbs up on this one we haven't heard from matt though matt where are you with 2015 also a thumbs up is it a thumbs down it's a thumbs down it's i'm gonna be contrary no i'm kidding i i this is definitely a thumbs up yeah um they just did so many just groundbreaking things that that had a lasting impact uh i think this it if you gave this a thumbs down, I would question your sanity. I think that some folks don't like experience counters in particular. That might be a reason that folks might give it a thumbs down. I am not bothered by the experience commanders, uh, experience commander, experience counter commanders. I know how to speak English, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's not a factor that bothers me as much. I know that there's some folks who don't like it as much, but even then just looking at the other two metrics, like the reprints and the original spells, I'm still absolutely in love. So very much a thumbs up for 2015. Yeah. So that moves us now to 2014. Let's take a look at those commanders. Matt, what do we got? So the commanders here, well, it's a, it's a little wanting. The the most played commander from this set is going to be Duretti Scrap Savant, the mono red planeswalker that can be your commander. This was the first time they did the, do the planeswalkers as commanders. They played around with that. Uh, Felden of the Third Path, Fraelis Lanor's Fury, and then uh, Teferi Temporal Archmage if you wanted to go infinite. This was your chance to do it out of the <laughs> command zone. He is crazy, crazy powerful. When you pair him with a chain veil, it absolutely gets crazy out of hand. It does. Uh, Yet none of these commanders have over a thousand decks to their name at the current time. Um, Granted, there has been a little bit of fall off as we only track the data from the past two years. But even then, a lot of the other products that we looked over still have commanders that have risen above that number for sure. So it is uh, interesting that these commanders haven't, probably owing to the fact that they are monocolored and those tend to be less popular than two-color or three-color commanders. Um, what about the original spells that came from this product, though? Um, you know, there's some really, really good ones here. Um, and I think you have this—you have the problem you mentioned, Joey, the monocolor thing for the commanders— that's for sure an issue, but I think that's also maybe beneficial in terms of the the support cards here because they had to be either colorless or one color, which makes them a lot easier to jam in any deck then. You know, dual caster mage can go in, but by virtue of not being blue and red like it could easily have been, goes in any deck running red no matter what the other pair colors are. Song of the Drides is a f- amazing card, and it's just green, so like, any permutation of green can run song on the dryads. So I think it the, the the thing that hurts the commanders makes the support cards a lot more versatile. 
It's it's funny. I, I my instinct there on in seeing Song of the Dryads was like, and this is where 2019's green can do anything motif sure. began. But I'm not sure that's actually true. Song of the Dryads is a color pie break, but Beast Within also was a color pie right. break, and I'm pretty sure this was before that. So green's just always kind of been doing whatever it wants to, apparently. Uh, not just those like du dual caster and Song of the Dryads. There's also this is where we got Myriad Landscape, which is a land that I really like, especially for monocolored decks. Mm -hmm. um, but then Commander Sphere. This is where that one showed up too, and that is crazy, crazy powerful. Matt, like you mentioned, it's one of the top three cards from a pre-con set that shows up uh, in any EDH deck. It's crazy popular adoption. 22% um, of decks that can play it are, and it's showing up in over 67,000 decks. I mean, that's a really, really big number. Uh, those are just the commanders and the original spells, though. Matt, what do we got in terms of the reprints? So the reprints, I mean, th there were some pretty big haymakers. Cyclonic Rift, when this was reprinted, I mean, it was, I correct me if I'm wrong, that was like a two, three dollar card, maybe. Yeah. yeah, it was definitely cheap at the time. I mean, it was fairly new. I mean, I believe Return to Ravnica was still standard legal when this set came out. So sure, take what you will. But I mean, Chaos Warp, there were a bunch of staple type of cards. Still had the, the Solemn Simulacrum, Sun Titans, Worm Coil Engine, I know was in the Mono Red deck, Cage Sun. But then there wasn't a whole lot at the time that was super, super expensive. Crypt Ghast has, has crept up over time. Grand Abolishers, you know, a few bucks now too, but there were some real big numbers, but then there weren't a bunch of depth as far as here's a bunch of five and $6 cards like we had kind of gotten in the, the, the years following. I don't know, Matt. I actually kind of liked the reprints here. Granted, like you said, a lot of them were not very expensive at the time, but if I were to go and pick up a, you know, one of these 2014 decks, assuming I could find one at a reasonable price, uh, like there are some cards here that I actually kind of like. You mentioned some of them like Cryptcast or whatever, but Grave Titan is also pretty pricey now, and I really like that card. All of the medallions have ticked up in price a whole lot. Sylvan Safekeeper is a really, really cool card that shows up in landfall decks all over the place nowadays. I actually really appreciate the, uh, the reprint game here, especially with stuff like like the worm coil engine or the caged sun that you mentioned those especially uh, are really cool so i'm on board not just for the uh the original cards but also for the uh for the reprint game here too yeah worm coil kind of i think actually ruined your expectations or it ruined mine yeah. because every year since i'm like well where is the worm coil engine level reprint in these sets <laughs> gotcha. um so like that alone is was an amazing reprint that year so I think that was a thumbs up from both me and Dana for this product. Matt, was it a thumbs up from you too? Did we convince you or? It's going to be, a, this is a real thumbs down for me, actually. Um, oh, okay. the, the, the monocolor decks, I just, I don't know what they really did outside of breaking ground with the Planeswalkers as commanders. But even then we're seeing that they, they weren't really that popular. No commander breaks a thousand decks, which to me is is kind of, Kind of a red flag as far as, is it one of the best commander sets of all time? I don't think this is. And so that's why I'm going to give it a thumbs down. All right. All right. Way to be a contrarian. <laughs> Let's move on now to 2013. This is where we had the eminence originally begin. We had stuff like Olero. Uh, then there was also things that you could play activated ability-wise. Derevi was also from this particular product. Uh, this is where Prosh showed up as well. And also a very popular one here was Nikusar, dealing damage when people uh, wheel, draw a bunch of cards. Could be pretty, pretty nasty there. Uh, five total commanders that have over a thousand decks. Um, and sort of like I mentioned how some folks don't like experience, some folks really don't like eminence. And I think this is where that particular uh, type of distaste really began was right here in 2013. Oh yeah, definitely. This is where, I mean, Oloro by Oloro's self kind of made that reputation <laughs> where you just sit in the command zone, you don't do anything, you just gain a lot of life and, and, and call it good there. So I think that's one of the big reasons that Eminence, when it came back around with the tribal decks, didn't have a very good reception. But also, like, Derevi being able to cheat commander tax or Prosh doing food chain things, those are pretty significant, too. Yeah, that's the one that really hits on me. Those two in particular feel a lot more egregious than just the idea of Eminence. I'm not too bothered by Eminence, especially its implementation of 2017. I was actually kind of okay with it because I feel like it does force your deck to be uh, restricted within a certain way that does kind of, that is a cost built in, even if it does have an effect on the command zone. That's just my own personal feelings, though. I also understand why it's kind of frustrating not to be able to interact with something when it's just happening in the command zone. So I do still get it. But that's enough about the commanders. What about the original cards? Matt, what did we have in terms of those? I mean, how much time you got? I mean, this <laughs> this was when they first kind of figured out, well, like, hey, let's let's make some cards only for commander and legacy. I mean, it was the second time they had done 
a commander precon set. So you had some massive, massive cards, uh, toxic deluge, bane of progress, the tempt cycle, tempt with discovery was one of the biggest ones. Uh, one of my favorites, little robot monster bug thing, dark steel mutation. <laughs> that card is seeing a ton of play. I mean, this set just that you could tell they were just kind of seeing what can we get away with? Like primal vigor was an immense card. And so, yeah, it, it's, there's so many new cards in here. It's, it's very hard for me actually to keep up with what they were doing. I mean, o- Ophiomancer is a great card. Um, Active authority is something that pops up in a lot of Brago decks to this day. Um, you know, it, it just like, you can go down this list from the ashes is a card that um, I ran in my landfall deck for a while just to get landfall triggers blowing up my own lands. And well, and don't even, don't forget true name nemesis too. I mean, that, that card right. broke legacy. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. I'm not, I'm not sure that true name nemesis showing up in this product is a, uh, a point in this product's favor thing. though. <laughs> no. no. The, the reprints are really, really solid though here too. Um, you know, Decree of Pain was a fairly expensive card at the time, and it was also one that hadn't had a reprint in forever. So it was, at the time, kind of a, a big deal in Commander. Avenger had gotten fairly expensive, and we got a couple of Portal cards that hadn't been reprinted since Portal Three Kingdoms in Luzon, Scholar General, and um, Huatu, Honored Physician, and I'm sure I badly mangled those names. Um but those were really, really pricey cards that people not only couldn't maybe afford, but like didn't have a chance to get because of the scarcity factor. And those were then introduced back into Commander as a whole. I feel like a boomer conversation needs to happen again where you're talking about those cards. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe I'm off, but like... <laughs> we're, we're all having just, our moments it, this episode. It's all right. It just, it just is kind of funny to me. I feel like there's a reason that Dane is talking about these cards, whereas Matt and I are like, I'm sorry, what do these cards do? I don't know. Anyway, uh, so Dana, what what does that make your final verdict on this particular product then? Um, I, I think this is a thumbs up um, for me for sure. I think 2013, 14, and 15 to me is kind of the golden age of Commander Precons, and mm-hmm. this starts that off. Okay, Matt, how about you? I'm definitely going to give this one a thumbs up. They just... They did so many just crazy things we had never seen before, and there was a lot of groundwork that was laid this year. And I, I think it's it's very hard not to give it a thumbs up, despite the bad reputation that Eminence kind of got because of these commanders. I I don't think it's that hard to give it a to to not give it a thumbs up, as you said, because I am going to give Ooh. it a thumbs down, and it's very easy. I'm just doing it right here. It's just boom. Here's a thumbs what? up. Uh, <laughs> no, I Who I are don't. You? I, the, the true name nemesis problem, I think, was a significant problem. And granted, it's difficult to foresee that when you are designing cards, but it is still kind of like, oh, that was an experiment. But that wasn't the only experiment that I feel like went a little awry. Awry? Awry? Awry. Uh, because Pr- because Prosh and Derevi also still feel a little bit... Little, I'm a little stickler on those two. Playing around in the command zone was an interesting experiment, but I'm not sure that all those experiments paid off. Um, and that kind of just ticks my love of this particular one down a little bit. Um, not to mention the reprints weren't as thrilling to me either. So I am going to give it a thumbs down. It's not as difficult as you think. Alrighty, so that brings us to the final product, and that is the original Commander product back in 2011. Before these things had dates as names, the original Commander product now has some really interesting things to see at the top of the Commander pile, including Animar, Soul of Elements, who can cheat all of your mana costs by reducing them, and also has a really dangerous protection from white and black, which matters a lot more than I ever thought it would. Kalia of the Vast, Gave Guru of Spores also shows up here, and this is, of course, where my lovely the Mimeoplasm first appeared, the best Sultai commander. I don't care what anyone else says. <laughs> so this really set the stage. I really enjoy a lot of the designs that we got here. Uh, the commanders in particular feel very, very unique, very, very special. I really like the ways that this actually got the ball rolling in terms of commander. Um, and I don't think it's actually just because of the commanders. I think that the original cards that they had also did a lot for that too. Dana, what kind of original cards did we get here in the original commander product? Um, the original Arcane Signet, better than anything else that does what it does in Command Tower. <laughs> so it's you just put the land into every deck that isn't monocolor card. Yeah. And of course, original, it's a color pie break, so run it in every red deck in Chaos Warp. Um, Chaos Warp. But there's also some great, you know, Scavenging Ooze is a great card. It's in, great in Commander, but it's all playing other formats. Same for Flusterstorm. Um, Homeward Path is a card to this day. I put in a ton of decks. I have Hornet Queen in at least one deck, and I regularly see it as well. So there was a lot, a lot of cards on the bench in this set, also. Yeah, 
See, I'm actually going to to push back a little bit and, and, and dwell on your, your command tower point. If command tower was printed today, I think there'd be so many calls to have it banned. I mean, just look at what happened with Arcane Signet. Like, sure. It's, were people saying it should be banned, Arcane Signet? I don't think they were saying that. Okay, maybe not banned, but it invalidates so many cards. That, I mean, that was definitely a, a massive complaint. If Command Tower came out today, if this set came out today, I think people would be losing their minds if they had never seen some of these designs that were pushing some boundaries like they were back then. See, and I think they'd be losing their minds because they'd realize how amazing the Mimeoplasm is because oh. it's so, so cool. Uh, all right, so maybe if the original spells don't woo you, which is very insane to me, what about the reprints? Because there were actually some neat ones among the set, as I recall. There were. So, I mean, you had, it was one of the first times Eternal Witness got reprinted, but you also had Lightning Greaves, Path, Austere Command, Aura Shards. There were some insanely powerful reprints as far as just how good are these cards and, and their impact on the game? This definitely checked a lot of boxes on that route. And I mean, even Grave Pact, I know <laughs> I, it's a terribly unfun card to play against, um, but it still is, it's worth it's the most fun. It's worth money. I, stop it, Mr. Golgari. <laughs> but it, yeah, the, the reprints here, I mean, there were quite a few that, that did make a pretty big impact. Well, in stuff like Path to Exile that today they don't put in decks because they want you to maybe upgrade and have you have a room to, to do that. Path was in here. Felwar Stone was in here. Harmonize was in here. Um, you know, they they went pretty deep in, in ways I think they really don't necessarily do anymore today. And it's it's kind of impressive if you look at it now. Yeah. I, I, by the way, I absolutely love the Grave Pact, which has triple black pips in it, was a card that showed up in this wedge set. Uh, yeah, this wedge, yeah. this is a bunch of the precons. <laughs> so I'm just like, this is a lot more difficult to cast, especially with the land bases that they put in these original products, which is probably why they felt the need to make the command tower in the first place. I, all around though, I this is what got the ball rolling, and maybe it is nostalgia informing my decision here, but I can't help but give this a thumbs up. This has some of my absolute favorite commander designs. It also is the thing that really made people I think pay attention to commander as a format that it sort of legitimized the entire thing. I don't think they went too far with the original spells. I'm I'd be perfectly happy picking up any one of these decks and playing with it and feeling like I got a good deal on the reprints that the original spells are interesting and that the commanders are fascinating and provide me a lot of directions to go. Super thumbs up from me on this particular product. See, I'm I'm going to give it a thumbs down. I I think How dare you? I that's fine coming from you. Um uh, <laughs> but but seriously, no. I I'm I'm kidding. I'm glad that we're all here. Um, but I think if they, if they printed Chaos Warp in 2020, I think there'd be so many outcries about how much of a color pie break it is that people would, there, there'd be so much unrest about it. Same with Command Tower, similar to what we saw with Arcane Signet. I, and the commanders even, gave Guru Spores accidentally goes infinite with a pile of 99 cards. I don't know how, <laughs> but Gabe is going to find a way to do it. Animar is the same way. I, I think... I think 2013 is what put the spotlight on Commander, not 2011. I, I get what you're saying, Matt, but I'm going to give it a thumbs up anyway. Um, and the reason that is, is it was their first attempt at doing this. Sure. So like a lot of the flaws I can overlook because they're just, everyone's getting drunk and making Commander cards and throwing them in decks. <laughs> and this is what we got. And I think that's 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 okay. I'm, I'm much more willing to overlook those flaws in their first go at doing that than I am maybe you know, seven years down the road. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good point is this was the first Commander pre-constructed set. So obviously some mistakes were going to be made. I get that. Um, I, I can forgive that, but I don't think that it was the best set though. I think as far as the impact and, and how much it lasted moving forward, I think we can make an argument for 2015 and 2016 are probably better than 2011. And indeed, when we look at the stuff that we were just talking about, we had some disagreements uh, here and there. Two people gave a thumbs up, one person gave a thumbs down on quite a few of these. But 2015 and 2016 were the products that all three of us were like thumbs up on these. And there was only one product, 2018, that we all gave a thumbs down. And even then, on my part, it was a rather hesitant thumbs down. Um, so yeah, 2015 and 2016 being our final takeaway as maybe those are the best or are they tied for the best, that could actually be something here. I also wanted to look a little bit farther into these numbers before we wrap up. Um, because there are some, you know, noteworthy things about these uh, pre-cons as well that I just kind of like to throw out there that I think are pretty fascinating. For example, we had all given a uh, thumbs down to Commander 2018, but that is the set that has the greatest number of commanders with over a thousand decks because 
a lot of the other ones actually don't quite reach that threshold. I believe it had eight and a lot of the other ones had just about six or four or so. So that is something noteworthy, even if we were all maybe a little dissatisfied with the product. The precon that had the number one commander, we all know that that was Atraxa. So that's another point in Commander 2016's favor. Uh, the precon that had the highest number of popular original cards, I think we have to give that to Commander 2015 as well. When you start looking through its uh, Ediatrek page, you see quite a lot of stuff going on there. Um, and then I would also probably say the best reprint game probably goes to 2015 or 2016. So yeah, it sort of feels like when we're looking through the Ediatrek page, it isn't just that we liked these and then we, you know, wanted to talk about them because we like them. It does feel like the data is supporting uh, that, that sense that we had going into this. Like, oh, I think I like this product over this product. And I think looking through the EDHREC page, for me at least, seemed to confirm a lot why I like those. For example, looking through the original cards from Commander 2015, I'd always had a sense that I like this one. And looking through its original spells, I'm like, oh yeah, that's why. Because it had so many of those amazing powerhouses and some of those really cool sleeper hits. Like actually looking through these reminded me of why I enjoy some of the stuff from precons. And I really hope that we get to see a lot of those same aspects uh, in all of the precons in the future too. So I don't know, just some fun stuff that I wanted to throw out. But now I want to throw it back to you guys before we wrap up. Just sort of one maybe takeaway. Did you notice any trends over all of these? Or are there any particular aspects of precons that you would like to see in future products? I just kind of want to throw that back to you about where you think these precons might be going or where you would like them to go. Well, one observation I would like to to make here, and Matt touched on it when we were talking about the 2011 set, it's really easy to get annoyed and complain about things like color pie breaks or arcane signet or, you know, broken commanders like maybe Andre Falconrath sometimes was um, as just a kind of a goldfish combo engine. They've been doing that all along. Like every year has <laughs> one of those car, one of those commanders, if not two or three of them, they all have one or two of those color pie break cards or that auto include command tower ish land. So I'm not saying we shouldn't complain about it, but it's maybe a little bit easier to lose perspective and act like this is a new thing that's just happening. That's always been happening, clearly. <laughs> I mean, that's you, you are you are correct. Yeah, they, they've been doing something busted. And I think maybe that's why 2018 that didn't really do anything busted kind of sour on us because there wasn't anything like outlandishly, stupidly popular and, and powerful, I guess. Um I don't mind kind of the trend. One thing that I notice as we moved back is the commanders got a little more generic and a little more generic as we moved on. I don't mind the shift to being a little more focused on specific strategies and enabling decks that didn't have a good commander. Uh, when Gavin Verhey went on the command zone and talked about uh, the plans for 2020, he, he wanted commanders to be able to empower decks that you know maybe weren't possible in, in, in years past. And I, I like that because that's giving more players a chance to have something that's going to express their specific deck strategies. If we want a generic deck, there's plenty of generic commanders out there that are going to enable any given strategy. So having something specific, I actually don't mind. I, I actually, no, I like it. There, I said well, it. I, I wonder if the argument couldn't be made now that because they've acknowledged commander exists and they mm -hmm. have it in mind when they print legendary creatures in just standard sets, for example, or things like Modern Horizons, perhaps the focus of these decks has shifted a little bit away from being a thing for entrenched players to being a thing for new commander players. And maybe yeah. we need to then change our perception of what they are to match that. Yep. Yeah, yeah I, I would certainly agree on all of those points. A, a trend that I noticed that I found a little bit distressing, actually, is a dec decrease, actually, in the number of valuable reprints. Um, so that is like one of those things that I hope will be addressed in all of the Commander products that we get in 2020, because we just didn't seem to have as many of them in the recent uh, Commander products as we did in some of the older ones. Um, and Print worm coil, you cowards. <laughs> uh, but then also another thing, a trend that I I really especially hope um, sort of shifts around, not just on the reprint game, but also on the uh, the original spells. I Like you mentioned, the Commander heyday maybe being around the uh, 2014, 2015, 2016 mark there, Dana. I especially uh, liked 2015 and 2016 because of their original spells. And there weren't too many that took off from way, way super popularity. This was a really ace card. Um, there were a lot of spells that had a whole lot of... 
um, ability to become popular, ability to shine. They were really good for this format. And then in some of the more recent sets, we've had like the standalone Teferi's Protections or the standalone Dockside Extortionists. And I'd like to see uh, hopefully a return to form where it is a bit more of like, actually, there's a whole lot of cards that provide a lot more value as opposed to just one that takes off in popularity. That's something that I have my fingers crossed for for all of the future pre-cons. That's something I would personally really like to see. And Matt, I think that you've probably swayed me on your position there as well, that the shift has gone from commanders that can be taken in a lot of directions and maybe can occasionally become generic, etc., uh, to more of a specific focus. I think I'm actually on board with you there, that that is a good trend for us to see and mm. one that I think I can get behind. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you came to see the light. I appreciate your <laughs> open mind and open heart. But with that said, the Mimiplasm is still uh, the best command. My heart's not that open, so. <laughs> well, with that, I think what we're going to do is call this episode to a close. Thank you guys so much for joining me. And hey, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? You can find me on the Twitters and you can find my stream on Twitch at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S. 5-5 five, five for both of them. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach, and you can hear me on my other podcast a couple times a week, CMDR Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. You can find the cast at EDHRECcast on Facebook and Twitter. And if you have a question, a keen insight to EDHREC's data, or maybe a challenge to stats pick that you think we ought to know about, you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. Thanks again to Josh Lequai and the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast. And thank you, of course, to our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com, who provide up-to-date card price information right on EDHREC. If you are interested in picking up any of the cards we've talked about, you can click the links on the cards right on EDHREC. And if you buy from Card Kingdom, you can visit cardkingdom.com slash idiotrek to get those awesome cards and to support the show. Listeners, we would actually really like to hear from you about what you think was the best pre-con and especially how Ikoria Commander shapes up compared to those previous pre-cons. And maybe you can even help us break that tie when we were saying, ooh, both 2015 and 2016 happened to be our favorites. Which one beats out the rest? Help us break that tie and tell us what your favorite Commander Precon of the past was. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.